Hi everyone, it's Vicki Basilica from the ASHP section of Clinical Specialists and Scientists. And I'd like you to welcome you to this special episode of Therapeutic Thursdays. Once again, I am excited to share some of the great clinical content that was a part of the 2020 Mid-Year Clinical Meeting. Please enjoy this highlight and be sure to check back soon for more features. So just to begin, let's illustrate a couple reasons about why we would prefer Altplace for AIS. Altplace has a wide breadth of experience. So Altplace remains to date the only licensed thrombolytic agent for AIS, and it has the most literature and evidence to support its use, more so than any other fibrinolytic. Additionally, it is, as I mentioned, the one that has the most literature. So even though thrombolytics have been around since the 1930s. Altaplace came on the scene in 1995, and thus we have over about 25 years of evidence to support its use. And as I previously mentioned, it still remains to date the only one that's FDA approved for the indication of acute ischemic stroke. As we go through this presentation, I'll hit on the evolution of stroke treatment to better understand why Altaplace is the preferred choice for acute ischemic stroke. So we'll start with three large trials, which led to not only the FDA approval of Altaplace, which was NINES in 1995, but also why we use the 4.5 hour window for our time window in order to get Altaplace. And that was between ECAST-3 and IST-3. As I mentioned, the main three stroke trials with Altaplace were NINES in 1995, ECAS-3 in 2008, and IST-3 in 2012. So in the first one, NINES, this was the one that led to Altaplace's FDA approval. And in this one, what they looked at was um, from the onset of three hours, there was um, no difference in mortality. However, there was a significant increase in intracranial hemorrhage, as you can see there, but there also was an increase in favorable outcomes. For ECAS-3 in 2008, this actually led to the expanded treatment window because they saw improved outcomes between the window of three to 4.5 hours. However, hours. However, you can also see that it did, again, lead to an increase in um, intracranial hemorrhage. And finally, the third one is IST3, which was done in 2012. And this, what they tried to see here is if they could even extend the window longer. So they looked at it for up symptom onset up to th six hours. And although this showed favorable outcomes, much like the other ones, they, for the first time, saw mortality within seven days, which was the only one of these three that, that had that outcome, to which they then said 4.5 hours was the hard stop for giving all to place at this time. Now that we've looked at the major ischemic stroke trials, which not only led to Altaplace's approval, but also why we use the 4.5 hour window, we'll move on to looking at the different subsets of people that you can use Altaplace in. And this is Emerson 2014. So, we have more evidence with Altaplace, especially in special populations. And throughout the years, we've actually eased restrictions um, about who we can use it in. And this is where we'll go into depth with this, with this meta-analysis from 2014. 
and why we have more knowledge about how, how alteplase will react in higher risk populations. So this was a pre-specified pre meta-analysis for 6,756 patients in nine randomized trials comparing alteplase with placebo or open control. And uh, generally what they were looking at was onset of symptoms for timing, age of patients, and among patients with low or severe strokes, um, whether it had a benefit or a risk. The results for time to alteplase in terms of time of onset are listed on your screen here. And to, um, to orient you to this table, you can see that I have divided it up into when the symptoms were, so treatment delay of three hours, three to 4.5 hours, or greater than 4.5, and then alteplase versus control and your odds ratio. So what the authors of this meta-analysis found is that actually, um, Alteplase had a significant increase in the odds of a good outcome with earlier treatment resulting in greater proportional benefit. And actually, when given within three hours, there was an even better benefit. So as we all know, earlier the better as time is brain. They also controlled for age as well in this, and this is on this slide here. So you can see here, again, it's split up between patients who are less than 80 and those who are greater than 80, since this was one of the contraindications to using alteplase greater than three hours at, um, previously. So there was no significant effect of alteplase on the odds of a good outcome when they stratified for age here. And actually there were similar outcomes for patients aged 80 years or younger or older as to those um, across the board. So there's no evidence that old age shortened the period during which alteplase could effectively and safely be given. As I mentioned, they also looked at severity of stroke, whether it was mild, moderate, or severe. And there was, again, no clear evidence that alteplase was less effective for patients who had the least severe or the most severe strokes. The question on everybody's mind always is though, what about intracranial hemorrhage? And as expected, alteplase did increase the likelihood of symptomatic intracranial hemorrhage, but no matter the time of, um, when it was given the age of the patient or the stroke severity, um, there was no, it was similar. And it actually did not contribute to overall mortality um, in general. And this was consistent with the other trials that we have seen with using alteplase for AIS and the outcome of intracranial hemorrhage itself. So now that we've looked at these special populations and seen um, that we have the evidence to support using alteplase within the 4.5 hour window safely for these special populations, I wanna fast forward to the extend TPA trial, which looked at consolidating the concept of determining treatment based on imaging. Um, and this was using not, not a CT. It was looking at perfusion-based selection and seeing how that could help a patient specifically versus just a CT and the clock. So the EXTEND trial was published in 2019. And again, as I mentioned, it was looking at Patients who are shown to have ischemic but not yet infarcted brain tissue, specifically on imaging, and seeing if these specific patients could extend the TPA treatment window past the 4.5 hours. 
So this was a multi-center placebo-controlled double-blind randomized controlled trial. And what they used was perfusion diffusion MRI guided approach to look at these specific patients. So they had actually planned to enroll 310 patients, but it was terminated early due to a loss of equipose um, due to the results of the wake-up trial being published while this trial was going on. However, we will go through the trial um, in detail so we can understand more about it. On your screen now are the baseline characteristics for the patients that were included in the EXTEND trial. And I pulled a couple out, so age, sex, median NIHSS score, time from stroke onset to initiation of IV therapy, and then time from onset to randomization. So you can see that they were similar between the two groups in terms of the baseline characteristics. For the primary outcome, what they sought to look at was um, functional outcomes, again, so score of zero to one on the modified Rankin scale at 90 days. And the p-value here, I just wanna point out, is actually the adjusted for effect and size p-value. The unadjusted one was 0 0.35. But what you can see is that there's a higher percentage of patients in the alteplase group with no or minor neurological deficits um, for the primary outcome. And then again, when you look at the ordinal ranking of the modified Rankin score, um, you can see that it was really no difference between the two, but that alteplase was a little bit higher. Moving on to safety outcomes, death within 90 days after intervention. This was um, consistent between the two alteplase and placebo, and then for symptomatic intracranial hemorrhage within 36 hours after intervention, as expected, you can see that alteplase had a higher incidence of symptomatic intracranial hemorrhage. The main conclusion from this trial, as we can see, is that the use of alteplase therapy in patients who had a favorable perfusion imaging profile between 4.5 and 9 hours after stroke onset or on awakening with stroke symptoms resulted in no or minor neurological deficits more often than placebo. However, I do have to remind you all that this trial was underpowered because it was stopped early. And really what this told us is that further trials of thrombolysis in this time period are needed. And essentially this may change the way that we think about stroke therapy in the future using perfusion imaging rather than just um, your CT and looking at the clock to see if that we can give it. However, um, this is again more robust data that gives us uh, more evidence that alteplase can be used in special populations and looking specifically at imaging too. And I just wanna throw this slide up here so I can show you all how the evolution of stroke treatment has changed over the years because when Alteplase was first approved in 1995 and then moving on through the guidelines, there were a lot of contraindications. And as time has gone on, we've actually eased back on a lot of these contraindications. So the first stroke guidelines that I have up here are from 2007, and that was when there was a strict three hour cutoff for using Alteplase. And then again, as ECAS came out in more trials, we moved this to 4.5 hours with specific criteria. And now in 2020, we allow um, anyone to get TPA within 4.5 hours um, based off of that it's beneficial for even those special subpopulations as we talked about. Um, again, so the same goes for 
any of the other categories I've listed here with age, severe stroke, mild stroke, seizure at onset, hypoglycemia, warfarin use, and previous stroke and diabetes. Um, we've eased up on a lot of what we were not previously giving TPA or off the place for. And that's due to a lot of the 20, 25 years of literature that we have now. So our guidelines are a lot more lax than they used to and really are more of a discussion about relative contraindications with the ED physicians and the neurologists. So in conclusion, the pros of Alteplace is that one of them is that we get reimbursement in case of unused vials, as I'm sure everyone is aware. So cost-wise, that is something to think about. It is something that everybody is familiar with in terms of staff education, um, pharmacists, nurses, physicians, and we also have a body of literature in a variety of patients, as I've just kind of gone through some of those with you. And I think that that really has given us a lot of the pros of why we continue to still use Alteplace. Um, and even though Alteplace itself um, sometimes has all this literature, um, stroke treatment in general has changed dramatically in the last 30 years. So I think that we just also have to keep that in mind. And with that, I will turn it over to Megan, who will be talking about the pros of Tenecteplace. Hi, my name is Megan Nadler, and from here I'm going to be taking over discussing why we could and should consider Tenecteplase for the management of acute ischemic stroke. The three main points I hope to get across are that first, Tenecteplase was bioengineered to have improved kinetics compared to Alteplase. Second, I want to touch on its safety and efficacy. And third, I hope to show that there may be a niche population where Tenecteplase may be beneficial and more feasible. So let's start with the technical portion. The first changes made to Alteplase involved modifying specific amino acids or entire protein domains, which resulted in a decrease in plasma clearance, but also impaired fibrinolytic activity or fibrin specificity. The next step was a functional analysis of the Alteplase protein sequence, which resulted in the birth of TNK. Adding a new glycosylation site on Kringle 1 resulted in a decreased rate of clearance and actually decreased our fibrin binding. The next step removed existing glycosylation on Kringle 1, which resulted in similar decreased clearance, but this restored fibrin binding. And the third change increased fibrin specificity and made the molecule more resistant to the natural inhibitor of plasminogen activator inhibitor. So what do we take away from that last slide? The changes to Alteplase, which brought us to Nectoplase, led to a 15-fold increase in fibrin specificity, which resulted in less peripheral bleeding. Changes also resulted in an 80-fold reduction in binding to plasminogen activator inhibitor. Plasminogen activator inhibitor is present in platelet-rich clots, so having less affinity for this results in greater fibrinolytic efficacy. And third, these changes led to a six-fold longer half-life. So to bring back our evolution of stroke timeline, um, in 2012, Parsons and colleagues published a randomized controlled trial where they used Tenecteplase. 
Um, this was, as I said, randomized open label trial of patients presenting with acute ischemic stroke within six hours of symptom onset. The patients underwent a CT perfusion before IV tenecteplase or alteplase, and they used particular inclusion criteria based on the result of CT imaging. The patients needed intracranial occlusion of the anterior cerebral, middle cerebral, or posterior cerebral arteries. Any internal carotid artery or vertebral basilar occlusions were excluded. The patients were randomized in a one-to-one -to, -one to one ratio of alteplase 0.9 mg per kg, tenecteplase 0.1 mg per kg, or tenecteplase 0.25 mg per kg. And the primary outcome was percentage of the lesion that was reperfused at 24 hours and the extent of clinical improvement at 24 hours. Taking a look at our baseline characteristics, the mean age was around 70 years old with a mean NIH stroke scale of 14. And the time to treatment was just about three hours in all groups. As for stroke location, the majority were proximal M1 occlusions. When we look at outcomes, compared with alteplase, tenecteplase was associated with greater reperfusion at 24 hours and greater clinical improvement at 24 hours. Additionally, treatment with tenecteplase resulted in less infarct growth and more complete or partial recannulization at 24 hours when compared with alteplase. And lastly, significantly more patients had a 90-day modified Rankin score of zero to two in the tenecteplase group compared to alteplase. And a modified Rankin of zero to two um, indicates functional um, independence at home. So of course we have to look at safety um, and this, the rates of intraparenchymal hematoma or symptomatic ICH were similar between the groups um, as was mortality. And then the last things that they looked at in this trial compared high-dose tenecteplase with alteplase, and they also compared the high-dose tenecteplase to the lower-dose alteplase, tenecteplase, I'm sorry. And so what they found was that um, the higher-dose tenecteplase was more efficacious based on imaging, demonstrated higher rates of early clinical improvement, better three-month outcomes, and more patients with excellent recovery. So what did we take away in 2012? Um, what we took away was that using CT perfusion to select patients with acute ischemic stroke for lytic therapy was a feasible option. And at this time, it appeared that tenecteplase um, may be superior to alteplase, but this was a really small study of only 75 patients. Um, and they also found that the higher dose of 0.25 mg per kg appeared to be more efficacious than the lower dose group. Um, the big thing is that we can't extrapolate this to ICA occlusions or basilar occlusions as all of those patients were excluded. So then in 2015 and 2017, the ATTEST and the NORTEST trials were published. So to go through the ATTEST trial first, um, this was a single center prospective randomized open label trial for patients presenting with four and a half hours of within four and a half hours of symptom onset, and they were assigned to alteplase or tenecteplase. The primary outcome was percentage of penumbra salvaged at 24 to 48 hours post-treatment, um, and there were 52 patients in each arm. Baseline characteristics were similar and well-balanced. They had an average age of 71 and a mean NIH score of 12. When we look at the primary outcome of percentage of penumbra saved, this was not different between the two groups. Secondary outcomes of total infarct volume and recannulization at 24 to 48 hours didn't differ between the groups either, and neither did modified Rankin scores at 90 days. 
they had similar bleeding outcomes between the groups as well. Looking at the NORTEST trial, this was a multi-center prospective randomized trial of patients who presented within four and a half hours of symptom onset or within four and a half hours of waking up, and they were randomized to tenecteplase 0.4 mg per kg or altoplase 0.9 mg per kg. And the primary outcome was excellent functional outcome at three months based on a modified Rankin score, and these included a modified Rankin of zero to one. This was a larger study um, with 550 patients per arm. Patient baseline characteristics were similar between the groups, but the mean NIH stroke scale score was much lower in this study, of, and it was um, around five in each arm. 4% uh, of, of patients in each group who had symptoms upon awakening had an MRI DWI flare mismatch. Um, in the intention to treat analysis, 64% of the tenecteplase and 63% of the altoplase group achieved the primary outcome of a modified Rankin of 0 to 1 at 3 months. Um, they did have similar rates of intracranial hemorrhage, and there was no difference in neuro improvement at 24 hours or at 3 months. So what did we take from, this, from these two trials? Um, that tenecteplase provided similar efficacy as altoplase for the treatment of acute ischemic stroke, and that modified Rankins at three months were similar between the groups. We can also take that there was no difference in um, hemorrhage rates between tenecteplase and altoplase-treated patients. So the next study I want to pull up um, is from 2018, and it's the EXTEND-IA trial. So this was a multi-center prospective randomized trial for patients who presented with ischemic stroke within four and a half hours of symptom onset and who had a large vessel occlusion and were eligible for thrombolysis and thrombectomy. So these patients were randomized in a one-to-one -one ratio to tenecteplase 0.25 mg per kg or altoplase 0.9 mg per kg. The primary outcome was substantial reperfusion defined as restoration of blood flow to greater than 50% of the involved territory or absence of retrievable thrombus in the target vessel. Angiographic assessment was assessed using the treatment in a cerebral ischemia score or the TIKI score. There were 101 patients in each arm. The average age was 70 and the average NIH stroke score was 17. Between the two arms, there were similar stroke locations with almost 60% of each arm having a proximal M1 occlusion. Uh, median time uh, from hospital to arrival was 60 minutes, time to thrombolysis was 125, and time to, um, from thrombolysis to puncture was around 40 minutes. The primary outcome of substantial reperfusion occurred more frequently in the tenecteplase arm compared to the altoplase arm. This corresponded with an improved MRS at 90 days um, with a median MRS of two for the tenecteplase arm and three for the altoplase arm. When we looked at safety, there was a mortality rate of 10% in the tenecteplase treated patients and 18% in the altoplase treated patients. And they had similar rates of symptomatic ICH and parenchymal hemorrhage. What can we conclude from this trial um, is that in patients with large vessel occlusions who are candidates for lytic therapy and thrombectomy, those who received tenecteplase prior to the thrombectomy had better reperfusion and ultimately better 90-day functional outcomes. And this improvement did not come with a risk of increased hemorrhage.
So really quick, the last thing I want to look at is this meta-analysis um, that was published uh, late in 2018. So this looked at randomized controlled trials in patients who received tenecteplase or alteplase for acute ischemic stroke, and the trials must have evaluated clinical and or imaging outcomes. The primary outcome was early neurologic improvement and functional outcomes as well as successful reperfusion. They defined early improvement as a more than four-point reduction on the NIH stroke scale between baseline and 24 to 72 hours, or a modified ranking of zero to one. So five randomized controlled trials met their criteria. So this included a total of 1,585 patients with a mean age of 70, and the baseline NIH stroke scale scores ranged from two to 27. When we look at perf cerebral perfusion, um, tenecteplase resulted in significant increase in complete recannulization. Um, and there was also increased risk of um, complete or partial recannulization in the tenecteplase group as well. Um, tenecteplase also resulted in significantly more increased rate of early neurologic improvement, but there was no significant differences um, in recovery of a modified ranking of zero to one or modified ranking of zero to two. Looking at poor recovery, tenecteplase had less patients with modified ranking of four to six. There was no difference in the rate of intracranial hemorrhage or symptomatic ICH, and there was also no difference in mortality. So what can we take away with, from this meta-analysis is that tenecteplase results in higher rates of complete recannulization and early neurologic improvement with no increased risk of bleeding. And additionally, it seems that the dose of 0.25 mg per kg um, is the most effective um, dose. The last two things that I just want to touch on is um, the ease of administration. So tenecteplase is an IV bolus. Um, it's easy to reconstitute and it lasts significantly longer than alteplase, negating the need for an IV infusion, whereas alteplase requires reconstitution and an hour-long infusion. And second, uh, the current cost analysis reveals that tenecteplase is a, is a few thousand dollars um, less expensive than alteplase, um, which also makes it an, att an attractive alternative in an age where drug costs continue to rise. So now I'll hand the baton back to Rachel for her critique. Thanks, Megan. So just a little critique about tenecteplase. Um, most importantly, I just want to touch on the EXTEND IATNK trial that you mentioned and just point out that this was an open label study with a primary outcome that was a surrogate endpoint and it was powered as a non-inferiority. So um, tenecteplase isn't um, superior, non-inferior. And it was in a select group of patients, which kind of limited the external validity of knowing where tenecteplase could be used. Additionally, um, I want to consider a couple other things about tenecteplase. Most importantly, the dose. I think it's still up for debate about what the optimal dose for tenecteplase really is. Is it 0.25 mg per kg? Is it 0.4 mg per kg? Um, so that's kind of one of the things that should be nailed down. Again, the data, there's no available data for earlier timeframes um, and lack of larger trials and evidence in non-thrombectomy patients. Um, so I know that it could be potentially used in specific patients, um, but we wanna look at a larger variety of those patients and then evaluate, um, evaluate those. And finally, just looking at stroke care in general, um, are these trials looking like tenecteplase is non-inferior or potentially even superior because 
our stroke care has just gotten significantly better since the arrival of Alteplase. We know that time is brain and the faster time to fibrinolytics um, is better. So it's hard, we have to take that into account when we look at the two different um, fibrinolytics. And now I'll give it back to Megan again for her critique on Alteplase. So I think there's um, a bunch of different limitations to the main stroke trials, and I'll just touch on a couple. Um, so the big um, controversies with the NINS trial is that um, at baseline, the groups were not well matched. Um, the placebo group had more patients with severe stroke of NIH over 20 and fewer minor strokes with NIH of zero to five. Um, and the, the patients were also um, not recruited consecutively in this trial. So for every one patient in the less than 90 minute group, there needed to be one patient in the 90 to 180 minute group. But in real life, um, treatment with Alteplase in less than 90 minutes from symptom onset is, is fairly um, non-existent as most patients don't get to the hospital and get Alteplase within 90 minutes from their stroke onset. I'm looking at the ECAS trial. Um, patients had higher NIH stroke scale scores at baseline in the placebo group and a higher rate of prior stroke as well. Um, and they also grouped modified Rankin um, zero to one rather using zero to two. And a two is still fairly functional at baseline. And if they had included the modified Rankin of zero to two in their main analysis, um, the results would not have been significantly different between the groups. Um, the IST trial had no benefit of Alteplase at six months. Um, and then the EXTEND trial, I think the biggest limitation from this is that it was discontinued prematurely. Um, so it wasn't powered for our results. The other, the next thing I want to discuss is the recannulization rate in proximal vessels. So when we look at recannulization rates for Alteplase, it's actually fairly low. So in this study from the Calgary Stroke Program, they looked at the rate of acute recannulization of proximal intracranial vessel occlusions in patients who received IV Alteplase. They use a slightly different score, the thrombolysis and brain ischemia, or the TIBI score where a TIB5 was complete recannulization and a TIB3 or 4 were partial recannulization. And they found that 67% of patients who received Alteplase had no recannulization and only 21% had complete recannulization. Of the 216 patients that they looked at who received Alteplase, 103 of them subsequently went for emergent thrombectomy. This demonstrates a very high percentage of patients who didn't achieve recannulization after Alteplase alone. So after reading that um, study, I went through the different studies that I had looked at and put just to look at the different recanalization rates between Alteplase and Tenecteplase. And what we can see on this um, rough table that I put together is that um, patients in the Tenecteplase arms in these trials had, had higher percentage rates of recanalization compared to those in the Alteplase arms. The next thing I wanted to point out is the 2019 stroke guideline update, and they actually do have a recommendation about tenecteplase, and they say that it may be reasonable to choose tenecteplase over alteplase in patients without contraindications for IV fibrinolysis who are eligible to undergo mechanical thrombectomy, um, which kind of opens the door for um, where we might be able to use tenecteplase in practice. 
So to put it all together, when we look at neurologic improvement, there have been five trials that found tenecteplase just as or more effective than alteplase for neurologic improvement. And based on these trials, four separate meta-analyses have demonstrated that alteplase is not superior to tenecteplase. Um, considering adverse effects, no trial or meta-analysis found differences in rates of symptomatic ICH or ICH between the treatment groups. Um, and so we can conclude that tenecteplase is just as safe as alteplase for ischemic stroke. And lastly, tenecteplase is significantly easier to administer. It's a simple IV bolus, um, no IV pump needed, easy reconstitution. It's faster and shorter, which could potentially lead to faster time to completion, which um, may actually prove to be important. So is there a niche population? Um, I think that um, a potential place where tenecteplase could be used is for these large vessel occlusions, um, especially for those potentially going for thrombectomy as tenecteplase has shown significantly higher rates of recannulization um, compared with alteplase. And we know that this doesn't come with, it, with any increased risk of bleeding. So our key takeaways is that any safety and efficacy differences between the different lytics are likely modest and future trials need to look at different combinations and approaches to reperfusion and need to have larger numbers. Both alteplase and tenecteplase have similar safety and efficacy and tenecteplase may provide higher recannulization. Those studies are small and this may not actually translate to 90-day outcomes. Thanks so much for listening into today's episode from the 2020 Mid-Year Clinical Meeting. It's features and content like this that make the ASHB Mid-Year Clinical Meeting the place to learn and to take your practice to the next level. Be sure to join us in December for more great clinical content.